Welcome to An American's Guide to Bollywood, where today we're talking about water, a drama about an eight-year-old girl who is widowed and sent to live in a widow's ashram. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is the fourth movie in our series on women. And I hope you were ready for some social commentary. This, I think, is the darkest of all of the movies. It better be. It is. <laughs> yeah. Well, Secret Superstars next, and that's not as dark. Yeah. So this movie is depressing in parts, but I think it's depressing because it does feel very real, but at the same time, I think... For the story that's being told, she does it in the least depressing way possible, which I really admire, especially as a viewer that's having to watch it. Mm-hmm. I would rather not be dragged through every emotional horror that happens and rather like I recognize that totally. something's bad. Yeah. So, yes, totally agree. This is hardly a Cormac McCarthy film. It's actually something that she was praised for part of the critical acclaim and she got a lot for this movie which was deserved part of it was for being able to inject some humor into um this subject and for portraying it the way that she did it wasn't super heavy-handed she wasn't preaching and moralizing the whole time she was showing us what it was yeah it was a it was a story about real characters there was also a lot of controversy when this film was made (laughs) yeah indians weren't necessarily all on board with the subject matter being talked about. What she's going against a little bit here and what modern society is going against with widows now more and more is the scriptures that some Hindu scriptures that say how widows should be treated and how they should act, which is basically to live the life of a a monk in the desert almost until they die because their husband died and that's it for them. Right. So their only other options from the scripture that are given are to throw yourself on your husband's funeral fire. So kill yourself. Or if the family permits to marry your husband's younger brother. So, so first of all, your husband needs to have a younger brother. Yes. And then the family needs to be okay with that. And as we've seen in this movie, There's a lot of superstition and bad luck around widows. Yeah. So people are worried that if you get too close to them, if you talk to them, you know, at one point someone says like someone's getting water and they're like, hey, watch it. Don't let your shadow touch the bride because then they're worried that her husband will die too. And it's interesting because, of course, you wouldn't need that sort of superstition. Um, You wouldn't have that sort of superstition if widows weren't treated this way. If they weren't treated as the living dead almost, it wouldn't matter as much if this new bride's husband died. She'd be able to still live her life. But as it is, that's that's what she's looking at. So these Hindu fundamentalists protested and destroyed the set before they could really start shooting. So it was like four years later that they ended up being able to actually film it. They had to film in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And they had to film under a fake name, River Moon. Yeah, and they they lost some of the actors and the crew and everything. Yep. She had already made some controversial movies in the past. So she already had this reputation. So it's yeah. kind of why people were on the lookout for it. But I just think this is really such a beautiful movie. And it's obviously making a statement 
But I think you can feel the tension in the movie, especially in the character of Shakuntala, who um, is a faithful Hindu and believes the scriptures, but she is being subjected to a life that she hates. And she can see it's not fair. Right. And so that tension is presented of how do you live your faith when you find it, the life that it's leaving you in to be unbearable and unjust. I think it's easy now to be like, well, widows, it doesn't affect like very many people and they're all old and stuff like that. Well, far from it. In 1938, when this movie is set in India, a lot of people were widowed as children or like teenagers. And that's part of the problem is that when you have child marriage, I mean, these are people that don't even remember their husbands, but because they die when they're children, when people are especially vulnerable to death, Mm -hmm. it means that there's people who live their entire lives as widows, basically. Yeah, exactly. She got taken away from her mother and father at eight. And was like, here, you live with a bunch of bitter old widows now. Right, because they were like, do you remember getting married? And she's like, no. They're like, okay, well, you're a widow. Now your husband died. She's like, for how long? Forever, sorry. And she doesn't understand at all. Yeah. Doesn't understand why her hair is getting cut off and her head shaved. And Mm -hmm. they strip away everything that makes them like women. They're trying to define them as separate from regular womanhood. And honestly... I thought when she walked in there, I was like, I thought she was going to a house of widows. Where who are all these old men? Because the older they get, the more, you know, with their very shape, short hair shaved heads, mm-hmm. they do seem more like men. Yeah, just wearing the white saris. And, Shapeless. Yeah. And having lived a very hard existence because living <clears throat> in that ashram is not fun. Okay, here's my other thing. This is this is just me. I don't understand why you would have child marriage be a very common thing if this is the way widows were treated. Yeah. But okay, it's a thing. Why are the widows having to pay rent to live in the ashram? Oh, that was pretty weird. Also, I didn't know how true that was. So I believe it being true. I don't know how much every penny was actually going to rent and how much of it was just going to oh, her. I don't know. No. And we're talking about the one who was in charge, the one ruling the ashram, you know, yeah. like, cause just because she's old and bossy. Madhumadi. But I don't know that I believe it when she said every penny is being spent on that. But the fact that she said it means that they are, in fact, paying rent to yeah, someone. That's insane. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If you as a society have cast these women into this role that they have to live out, why surely are you they can give them this ratty old building that's falling down right for whatever baskets they can leave in their spare time or whatever it is that yeah. you do when you're in that situation. But I was like, you can't surely they can't be expected to also pay for where they're living. Yeah, exactly. So one of the best things about this movie are the characters, which I think is a really interesting representation of the women who are in this home. So one Mm -hmm. of them is the one who's new to the life. That's the eight-year-old girl Mm -hmm. who is extremely innocent, of course, barely understand what's going on, but she's also quite spunky. I mean, that, that actress was so good. She was great. And it's a great lens for the audience to see it through because if you're not familiar with the practice, that's a great way to see it. Yeah. You see how you you feel, you have a conduit on screen that is feeling how unfair this is, how much it doesn't make sense. And then the next, we'll do it by age. So the next oldest one is Kuliani, who is a woman who 
she must be maybe early 20s. It seems like character it. wise. Yeah. She's very beautiful, but she's also basically living in a dream world. Like mm-hmm. she's waiting to be rescued from this. She hasn't fully accepted that even though her life is awful for many reasons, which we'll talk about later, it doesn't really feel like she's fully accepted what her life is. Right. And she's also been here for a long time. She says she doesn't remember when she got here, maybe when she was nine. Yeah. And she never met her husband. Yeah. The next one is Shakuntali, who we mentioned before. She's maybe like 40s. I thought she was older. It's hard to tell with no hair. Yeah. It's also... I can see her being cast for mid-30s for that lifestyle. Like, again, at age, it's hard to tell anything like that. Yeah. My guess would have been 40s, but somewhere in there. And she is a faithful Hindu, but she's also extremely angry about what her life is as a widow. She's She's willing to accept it because she's a faithful Hindu, Mm -hmm. but she's conflicted within herself. And she's one of the more practical women there. So even though she's she's she says this is how it is and she is angry, she also is one of the only ones that lets the eight-year-old have her feelings and doesn't try to immediately nail her into a role that you know it's just not gonna happen that fast. Yeah. And then the next of the main widows that we see, the next oldest one is Marumari, who's in her 70s. And She's the one who's basically taken over running the ashram. That's not like an official position, you know, but but good luck trying to get it away from her. Right. She is mean and bossy. Yes. And quite corrupt. Yes. And hypocritical. What? She's a mess. <laughs> but by seeing these four different women and how they react to the lives that they're in, you really get a broad look at what that life is like. And the acting from all of them is so good. It's so good. Everybody was really well cast, especially Shakuntala. She was so good. She did such a good job portraying so many different things. Because that is a really hard line to walk between what you believe but what you're seeing that's different than that. Yeah. And it's really rare that we see people struggle with anger that way on screen where they are trying to control it. They know that it's bad. They know that it's hurting them and they know that for their faith, they need to move past it. Also. I mean, whatever way she moves past it, you, you can't really, there's not many religions that you can practice wholeheartedly and hold on to an immense amount of rage at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe like the Norse. Yeah. Maybe so. (laughs) That probably works, but she's really good. Uh, not a lot is asked of Gugliani, acting-wise, but she's really good at the role. And, of course, they found someone who's, like, incredibly beautiful. Right, exactly. She's a Canadian model, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For that, which makes her perfectly matched with John Abraham. I know. Who is also in this as our, the main man. Don't worry. It's a period piece. They put glasses on him. Don't worry. Yeah. And he plays someone who, he's upper crust Indian society, but he is a follower of Gandhi. So right. he's he's a bit of an idealist and he wants change to happen in the country and all that. Yeah. So even though he's really educated, he's very familiar with English things, he's contrasted against his friend 
who his friend seems to just embrace a lot of the British stuff. He drinks whiskey. He's like, cricket's great. He's playing the piano. He's quoting Shakespeare. Exactly. But John Abraham is like, okay, but wouldn't it be great if we were free also? <laughs> and his friend was Shah Rukh, Khan, Shah Rukh Khan's friend in uh, Ravnabana to Jodi. Oh, that's awesome. I know. He's great. Yeah. He was, I was like, how can... I, I thought he looked familiar. I was like, mm-hmm. I think it's that guy. But he was so good at being this guy who, as much as he's dipping his toes in the merriment of British culture, he also understands how bad certain things are. And he's very worldly and aware of the dark side of things. And he's playing this role. And he was also the other guy, Bobby, in Ramadan. The very silly friend. Yeah. 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 And John Abraham is an interesting character because he clearly believes in a lot of what Gandhi says. And he is idealistic and wants India to be free and to progress as a society and all these things. But he also recognizes that the English treat their widows better than Indians do. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was just a really interesting and unexpected observation from the movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, he was a really great blend of like, yes, we need to keep keep our own country and keep the old stuff and whatever, whatever. But also like there's room for progress. Not everything about the English is bad or the way that they live, but also not all of it is good. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, just a really thoughtful, nuanced look at kind of an unusual, I mean, what seems to me to be an unusual part of Indian culture that's really not talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always... Ooh, why would you? It's not glamorous. It's not fun. It's not anything that another culture would envy. Right. So I, I always just have found this movie to be really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And then the fact that it's so well told and well shot and all that is just an added bonus on that. Yeah. This is definitely a hard R. Yes, it is. For reasons we'll talk about in the spoiler section. But you would not want to show this to children or young teenagers or anything like that. Yeah. Although it's not graphic if you're just worried as an adult for yourself. It's not graphic. But it's definitely touches on very difficult subjects. Uh, Yes, there is children in peril and implications of child abuse. Yeah. And there's no, there is very traditional music. Um, A.R. Rahman and Sukhwinder Singh did the Mm. music for it. It's very traditional and lovely, but there's not like song and dance numbers the way you would expect in a normal Bollywood movie. This is much more an indie movie feel. But I do love the music because it's so traditional sounding. It's I mean they got the best. Uh yeah, they it's it's it is very traditional feeling, but this movie is only two hours long. So yeah it's it's, It's a pretty simple story. So they do break for songs just kind of in the way a Western movie would. Exactly. But because the story is is kind of simple and uncluttered they are able to do it in two hours, even though it feels much fuller than some of the movies that are two and a half hours that we've seen. Yeah, exactly. So definitely highly recommend. It is well worth your time if you're interested in movies about more serious social issues in India. You know, like we said, it was a movie that had some pushback in India, and that was pretty recently. So Mm-hmm. This was made in 2005. Right. So it's a bit of a touchy subject, but it's it's definitely an, a movie worth watching. Mm-hmm. That's all for non-spoilers. We'll do spoilers after the interval.
the funny thing about this movie is that in the beginning, you don't really realize who it's about because I feel like, I mean, at first you think it's about the child. Right. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you meet Kulyani and you're like, oh, it's about her. And it's right. about the love story between her and Narion, who's John Abraham's character. And then she kills herself and you're like, well, what is going on? And then you're like, oh, wait, no, I get it. It's really about the conflict that Shakuntala is feeling. Yeah, you definitely walk away from it feeling like she is the through character and it's really her story. Because in that way, she is so many Indians Mm -hmm. who are faithful Hindus and want to follow the scripture and may even believe the scriptures, but then, you know, see what what life is like for widows and what that means for them. And, you know, how can this be right? Right. Because even if she, we don't really get into how well, like when her husband died or how long she's been there or anything. But you can't look at an eight-year-old who's never known her husband and was married in name only before going back to live with her parents and think, oh, yeah, she should definitely be treated as a widow the same way someone who lost her husband, you know, when she was 80 yeah. would. And you kind of get the feel that a lot of these women lost their husbands when they were pretty young. Uh, absolutely. The woman with who wanted the ladu. All this lady wanted was sweets. She was so old. She didn't have any teeth left. She dies. And she kept talking about the wedding feast. During and, the which movie. all yeah, she cared she about. Was seven. Yeah. And that's why all she cared about were the sweets and the foods that were there because she was seven when she got married. Yeah, and she's like, I remember, and you have a flashback to her wedding night, and she's so, it's it's so tragic, because you see this seven-year-old who's so happy, just this beautiful night, and she's just eating all these amazing foods, but mm-hmm. she doesn't realize this is what's going to condemn her to a life of unhappiness. Yeah, because she's another one where we don't know how old she was when her husband died, but she's clearly been there a long time, Yeah, and she's at an age where she's not... As mentally it's a second bare. childhood, yes. Sure. All she wants is a ladu, which she can't have because she's living in a widow's ashram. Exactly, and even if she did have money for it, she's not supposed to eat stuff like that. Yeah, it's forbidden food for a widow. You're supposed to live again, like almost like you're already dead. Yeah. And I was so sweet when Shreya gives her the ladu. You're so happy that she so, has that before she dies. So sweet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you look at the sleeping, I mean, there's so many of those old women and you look at the sleeping conditions where they're sleeping on mats on the ground and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you guys need beds like you guys. I know. Like, I don't, I, I would struggle with doing that and I'm young. Well, and you know, then you bring in Gulabi. Oh gosh. So I think that Marumari is such a... (laughs) This character, this woman, is a nightmare. Truly. All she loves in this world is her parrot. Me yes. too. She is, she's become so cynical mm-hmm. from coming into the ashram. You don't know what she was like before, but she's incredibly cynical now. And she yeah. holds all the widows to these incredibly high widow standards where she's eating. That she doesn't. Right. She's eating good food. Or, you know, spicy like, oh, you, or all that. You made it with butter, right? To the widow yeah. who brings it to her. The rest of them aren't having butter. Right. They get, like, rice. Yeah. And that's it. And. Lentils. Yeah. And she's the one who decide. 
I'm sure she was the one that decided to prostitute out Kulyani when she was a teenager in order to provide more money for the ashram. Definitely. But Kulyani's also not the only one getting, I don't know, maybe it was the first time, but I don't think so. Right. That Because she's pretty young, so that would be recent. But presumably this is not unheard of. Certainly the rest of the community doesn't seem shocked by this because yeah. there's no outrage you know, people see her crossing the river in the boat to the houses of the wealthy people and they know what's happening and there's no general outrage. Right. And this is part of it. Of this this thing, this wrong that's being done to Kuliani. Yes, it's on Marumari for doing it, but it's also on the community for allowing this to happen and not being more protective of the widows in this ashram. Yeah, and that's the other the other way that Hindu fundamentalism is getting put on trial here is when Narayan confronts his father, who is their best customer, it seems like, about what he's doing. He says, well, Brahmins, it's in the text, Brahmins can sleep with whoever they want. And the women that, that we sleep with are blessed. And he's truly unbothered morally by any of this. He's like, oh, well, yeah, just don't marry her. Yeah, because I've been sleeping with her a lot. Yeah, keep her as a mistress. Yeah, just keep her as a mistress. It's fine. And but this is the thing of like, how can you demand that widows live in these ashrams um, in a state of destitution, but then not even provide the basics that they need to live and protect them from like the degradation of society from things like prostitution? Right. Like it's it's not just the these widows have to figure it out for themselves. You as a society, if you demand this for the good of your society or religion or whatever it is you're demanding this from, you have a responsibility to provide for these people who are in this situation. Yeah. And so often that's just not happening. So then that leads to, um, you know, you already don't love his father because you're like, "Mm, he's pretty gross. Well, we don't realize how gross until Madhumari sends Shuya across the river to him. Yes, because now that Kulyani has killed herself, there's no one left. Although I'm like, there were other women. I mean, well, there were other women. And I, I think I think it isn't that there was no one else. I think it's a combination of the fact that, I mean, this guy, we've already heard that he doesn't call them by names. He just says like the old one, the new one, the young one, the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think he's going through that whole place. Yeah. But that's his friend's father. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. And I, but it yeah. seems like they're all like that. I think we're just now being introduced to this guy's depravity. Right. And doing what he can because he can. And how helpless widows, especially a widow as young as Chia is when they're in this situation. Yeah. And yeah. I think it was also that Madhumati uh, didn't like her and was punishing her. Oh yeah. No, totally. Now Kuyani's gone. And her other protector, Shukantala, was out. Yeah. And so she got sent. Yeah, because she doesn't care what happens to Julia. She's, I mean, she's completely selfish and heartless. I also think that she suspects that Julia killed her parrot by this point. Yeah, which I did not have it in me to care about her sorrow for that parrot. Sounds like you are a monster. <laughs> I know. How interesting that you love this parrot more than you love any of the humans around you. And of course, you know, you are caged 
in this life and in this place. And yet you're doing that to an innocent bird that you say that you love as well. Mm-hmm. So there's that too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's the bit that's, that's really tough. I mean, I'm so glad that they shot it the way they did where you're really not having to, to be dragged through it. Even the suggestion is awful. It's so horrible. So one of the things I think that's really interesting about Kulyani is that she it's so obvious, like, because she went to the ashram around the same age as Chuya, she is meant to be what Chuya will become if she stays there. Yeah. And she's really chosen to deal with this by living in a fairyland. Yeah. She is constantly playing. So she prays a lot to Krishna, who's the god of love. Mm-hmm. So for a widow to be praying to the god of love is already, already feels like a, little a bit of a disconnect. Yeah. But she has faith that Krishna will save her from this. And she doesn't take any action to save herself. Now, of course, there's it's extremely limited as to what she would be able to do. Right. But she doesn't take any action to save herself, even when it means just, like, breaking down a piece of wood in order to go join John Abraham. There were things where I was like, I feel like you could, if you wanted to, you could bust out of there. But she doesn't do that. She is constantly, like, when Chuya first goes there... She says, oh, yeah, no, your mom will come home, like, if you, or will bring you home if you just pray this 108 times. Mm-hmm. So she's keeping Chuya in kind of a state of fantasy, too, as the way to deal with this. Which is interesting, because later in the movie, even Chuya tells someone else, I know I'm not going home. Right. But this is the way that Kulyani has chosen to deal with it. It's just by by ignoring all the problems and not facing them. And I think... What's really interesting is when she's talking to John Abraham and she says that she's going to do what Krishna says to do, which is to learn to live like the lotus flower untouched by the filthy water it grows in. And John Abraham says, well, people can't live like that. We're not gods. And she says, yes, we can. Yeah, that's and that's it. No explanation. With this kind of beatific look on her face and you feel like, oh, well, she's reached a state of maturity or like suffering where she has now risen above all that. And you shouldn't see it, these hidden depths. Well, once she kills herself, what you realize is she, instead of being untouched by the filthy water, just denied that she was in the filthy water. Yeah. She didn't deal with it at all. And she thought that she'd risen above it when actually she'd just been ignoring it the whole time. So she wasn't strong enough when her, hope of salvation in the form of like her fairy prince john abraham is taken away because she's forced to acknowledge that he is a real person living in a real world and his father is one of the people who's been abusing her Mm -hmm. she can't take it and she winds up drowning herself which of course is super sad because if she just waited like a day he came back in the morning to come take her away still he was still planning on marrying her yeah but she just couldn't take it that's ultimately the difference between Kuliani and Shakuntala is Shakuntala has accepted her life. Yeah. She's angry about it. She resents it, but she's accepted it. And what she's struggling with is the fact that even though she has mentally accepted it, she cannot emotionally accept it. She's accepted it as part of her religion, but she can't reconcile her feelings with that. And, and that's what makes her a stronger character who's able in the end to save Chuya. Yeah. Because it isn't that she wasn't filled with anger, you know, before Chuya got there, because she was. But seeing Chuya there rekindles it in a way. And 
I think makes it even harder for her to work through emotional acceptance. Because even the symbolism of water, so this is the reason this is called water. I mean, one of the reasons is it's part of this director's elemental trilogy. It's the mm-hmm. last one. Her other two movies were called Earth and Fire in this trilogy. This one's called Water, but I love the way they use water. So this ashram is on the Ganges. They keep talking about sacred water. Mm-hmm. The Ganges is also where you dispose of the ashes of the dead. So and people will make flights from America, right? You know, to to go bring their family members back and put their ashes in the Ganges, right? So it feels like they're almost trapped by this sacred water. Just waiting. Yeah, the, they're there trapped waiting for their ashes to get put there. Right. They're trapped by their husband's death and the religion that then dictates that this is how they have to live. And even though the Ganges is supposed to be holy water and purify you, they're also told it can never purify you enough. This is really, yeah, you know, until your ashes go in here. Yeah, I just think there's so much that can be said about the symbolism of water and their ashram on the Ganges and all of that. Um, Cause it also rains a lot in the movie mm-hmm. and they talk about clouds and so just the symbolism of that I thought was really well done without ever being just hammered in, in an yeah. obnoxious way, exactly. but it was subtly done. So even that aspect, I just loved, it was just such a well done movie. Yeah. Oh, it really, really is. I'm glad she waited four years to make it. Yeah. And this, I mean, this one movie won, like, all the awards oh, outside yeah. of India. Absolutely. It killed it at the festival scene. <laughs> oh, gosh, I cannot imagine. Yeah, and you can understand why. It, it's really, you know, and I'm not the type of person that normally likes these movies, but I just really yeah. enjoyed it so much because it was so well done. It didn't feel like I was being forced to learn something. It felt like I was just enjoying a story. Yeah. That was also making a, a bigger point. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because she did allow her quest- her character's to be faithful Hindus. Yeah. Or to question where they, or just to not even care about religion. They're yeah. living their lives. Like it wasn't that every single person was there to prove a point. Yeah. And she did leave these questions open because this was the conversation between Kalyani and Narayan about we shouldn't get rid of everything, like all the traditional stuff, because we should save what's good. What's good should never be thrown away. And he's like, well, who decides what's good? And she, because of her romantic nature, is just as you will. But but that is a valid question of what should be kept and what should be changed. Mm -hmm. Is everything about what's being taught about widows uh, unjust? Or is there some sort of bigger framework that needs to be looked at? I mean, these are questions that Hindus have to answer for themselves. But I think by posing those bigger questions and not necessarily giving answers to them, she does allow a broader conversation to happen. Yeah, definitely. And just everyone should agree with my thoughts on this. So highly recommend, obviously, from both of us. Yes. The next movie is lighter, (laughs) even though it also involves like some heavy subject matter. But because of the way it's done, it it just feels much more like a, a big budget movie. Now, this is... Amar Khan is in it, so that's probably helps out a lot. But Secret Superstar is available on Netflix, and it's about a teenager who wants to be a singer-songwriter, but she lives in a strict Muslim household, and her father won't let her. So that's available on Netflix, and we'll see you next time on An American's Guide to Bollywood. For more of An American's Guide to Bollywood, go to guidetobollywood.com.
To contact us, write us at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com. Sajjan sakhi laayore, laayore, umang sakhi ho.